Okay, so we're, we're in the heart of Star Hill. Uh, Star Hill neighborhood is the, is the middle class black neighborhood. Um, and uh, Pat Edwards likes to tell the story, and I love to hear it, of the fact that Star Hill is so named, of course, because it's a hill and it's where all the stars live, right? So the African-Americans that have um, uh, been able to navigate their way to middle-class identity, they are the stars of the community, right? So Pat Edwards loves to, loves to tell that story, and I love to repeat it. So Star Hill is this neighborhood. It is higher in elevation than almost any of the other African-American neighborhoods in this zone. So it's important for us to recognize that. This is, uh, uh, it emerges in the late 19th century, but is by the first quarter of the 20th century, this is the robust center for middle-class black families. They're professionals, right? So we have the, uh, the doctor that generally provides all services for black families. His house is one block over. What we have to recognize when we look at a neighborhood like Star Hill is that unlike white neighborhoods, which are purely residential, Star Hill is mixed-use, professional residential, because most of these black professionals don't have nearly the access to office spaces, right? They don't have that kind of capacity, either financially or in, just in terms of being able to navigate white spaces. And so this space is a little city inserted in the middle of the city. So we have the funeral parlor. We have the doctor's office. This really fantastic building immediately behind you uh, with the Corinthian columns was initially built as a church, but fairly soon thereafter, it transitions into Barrett's daycare. So if you're familiar with Barrett Early Learning Center, that's the same, that's the same uh, company. If you have hope of sending your kid off to schooling, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, you're gonna have to pay for that. That means mom has to work also, right? And so black families are having to make a very conscious and regular choice about being home with their kids or sending their kids to daycare so that their future kids might actually have the possibility of an education. And so we see the rise then of Barrett's Daycare, uh, which is the state of Virginia's oldest continually operating daycare. Not at all an accident that it's black uh, founded and black managed, right? Uh, it's established in the 1930s. So Barrett's Daycare is the, second, the third of three institutions. The last is this brick-fronted building. So you take a look at this white building with the brick front. Uh, that was the uh, residence and offices of a uh, financier and mortgage company. The um, city of Charlottesville, like many other cities across the state of Virginia, uh, established a uh, segregation code in 1912. So there is officially on the books a segregation code that says this neighborhood must be exclusively white, this neighborhood must be exclusively black, right? And so if you're seeking to be a homeowner, the racial codes of the city say you can only buy houses in certain areas, right? Um, it's also quite clear that banks and mortgage and lending institutions give far better preferential treatment to their white customers than they do to their black customers forcing African-Americans to pay more for the money they're, they're borrowing. So you then see the rise of a black-owned and black-managed uh, 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 banking and mortgage infrastructure as a way of contesting that so that blacks can actually own buildings. They, they can own their houses, right? 
this in, in the early 20th century, there's a middle-class black uh, community that wants to be homeowners. The city of Charlottesville said that's delimited to certain zones of the city, and we're going to make it difficult for you to actually get a loan. These are, that's what structural racism looks like in the early 20th century. Now, the federal government uh, declares that kind of race-based uh, uh, spatial zoning unconstitutional. It makes its way to the Supreme Court. It's declared unconstitutional in 1917. Okay? So one would think that might actually fix the problem. It doesn't. What happens starting in the 1920s is that house builders who are building complexes of houses start writing into the deeds race-based covenants. So a housing property will have all kinds of covenants. The house has to be set back so far from the street. So if I'm developing a, blo a couple blocks of housing, there's going to be all kinds of covenants. All of our houses have covenants in, in them. Many of them are uh, just about conformity to the street. It has to be two stories. It can only be one story. It has to be built out of these materials. Uh, it can only be sold to a white person. Right? So when neighborhood zoning by race becomes unconstitutional in 1917, you then see the rise of um, race-based covenants, which are then written into uh, uh, all housing covenants. More than 75%, Jordy Yeager is the guy who's doing all the research on uh, race-based covenants right now in Charlottesville, and he's found that at least 75%, maybe more, of all houses built between 1920 and 1968, when the Fair Housing Act makes this also unconstitutional, uh, that's a long period of time. Almost all of Charlottesville's houses have Caucasian race only written into the, con uh, into the covenant of the house. Right? I haven't actually researched my own yet, but mine falls within that window. My neighbor has, and boom, there it is. To be sold only to someone of the Caucasian race. Right? So, rather than top-down, that's fine. We'll just go bottom up, right? It's another mechanism of ensuring spatial segregation by neighborhood. So that this gets written into the landscape of the city of Charlottesville in a variety of different strategies, right? Segregation is just part and parcel of what it means to live in, in the city of Charlottesville. Uh, so we see the rise of an independent mortgage company to allow African-Americans access to property ownership. Now, the Fair Housing Act makes those race-based covenants illegal, but we see the rise of zoning, right? So neighborhood zoning, which emerges in the middle of the 20th century, says that this neighborhood can only have single-family houses, right? So many of Charlottesville's neighborhoods don't have duplexes. Duplexes are made illegal, right? They're, they break code. Neighborhoods can only have single-family houses. Now, what does that mean? If you're a rising middle-class family and you want to move into a white neighborhood, you're likely not going to be able to afford the single-family house. You're likely going to need, as a first step, to live in the duplex. But none of these neighborhoods have duplexes. Middle-class families cannot, through the course of the 20th century, buy houses in neighborhoods where they will have uh, social networks, that give access to white capital, when I'm in trouble, if I find myself in crisis, I'm going to rely on my friend network. If I am an upper middle class white man, as I am, my friend network has an enormous power. They have all kinds of connections. 
they have resources I can, I can lean on, right? So when I hit crisis, I'm fine. But if all of my neighbors and all of my friends have, have had limited access as I have, then my social network is significantly more constrained so that when I hit crisis, I'm much more likely to collapse under that crisis. When everybody we know is only black or everybody we know is only white, then we're not loving our neighbor. 